Hi, and welcome to Caribbean. Today we have Zoe Sazel, transgender advocate, activist, and recently seen in the Scotiabank series campaign um, that's creating tolerance and understanding. So Zoe, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, pleasure, privilege. I want to start with the usual, which is an origin question, like in the beginning there was. So can you give me a little idea about, you know, where you grew up, how, how things were, you know, memories from childhood and stuff like that? Sure. I grew up actually uniquely in St. Clair, which I don't think many people, <laughs> I don't think it even sounds possible. But I grew up, um, my grandmother was Wilma Stanley. She was a pioneer in the healthcare industry. She opened her own maternity clinic called Stanley's, right across from Ellerslie Plaza. I know that well, yes. <laughs> yes, and that's, that's where I come from. Um, so I actually grew up, we lived actually right there. We lived literally next to the hospital on the same compound. Our house was built onto um, the hospital and we, we were just separated by these large swinging doors. And so that's where I grew up. Um, and that's kind of how I grew up. I didn't really have a regular childhood, you know. There weren't children around to play with or, you know. Uh, my friends were the workers, you know, the chefs in the kitchen, um, people who kind of found themselves in the house working on things as well as, you know, in the hospital. Some of the nurses, my mother was also a nurse, so, and she worked in the hospital. My father was the accountant, so he worked at the hospital. So it was a very unique environment. Well, I'm thinking green tiles. <laughs> yeah. Not in the house, but in the hospital. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, I, I um, eventually attended QRC, Queen's Royal College, which was literally a walk away from where I lived. Yes. Um, and that kind of took me into some of my more formative years. Queen's College was a world unto itself. Um, and I realized from then that I was the kind of person that would assess a world and take it by storm and take it over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I eventually became the head prefect by the end of my time. And I wow. called myself the head queen even then. Wow. I was respected as such, you know. So... That those were kind of like some of my formative package years that have now trickled into... I graduated school about 12 years ago now, and I never thought my life would look like what it does today. Okay. Can you um, can you expand on that? Yeah. Um, I grew up in a very, very Christian household, Pentecostal Christian. So even coming up through high school, I was steeped in church... I played on the church worship team. I was a saxophonist extraordinaire, which also came through the QRC Scout Band, you know, in the Scouts you learn everything. And through the Scout Band, I learned to play the saxophone and had quite the knack for it. And I think my um, commitment to <laughs> excellence and to just conquering um, kind of showed up in every aspect because I became one of the foremost um, musicians, not only in church, but also in the band. And, um, but definitely what I mean when I say, you know, I didn't think my life would look like what it looks like today is I grew up in such a cloud of Christianity. That mm. um, a lot of my years, especially in high school, my awareness of my difference, you know, even in my, my graduation speech, I spoke about something which I, I think at the time I obviously had no perspective on, but now I see. I spoke about coming into Form 1 and seeing these tall, towering, lanky figures of men, you know, just mm. cross the courtyard like Moko Jambis, you know, playing in the football field. And I would sit in one of the Form 1 classrooms and look out at them and I didn't know it then, but I was filled with a sense of other. I was filled with a sense of like, 
wow, what are these creatures, these beings, and they're so fascinating, and they're so other. Um, but, of course, within socialization, I, I wasn't allowed to really absorb that sense of other. I was taught that these were the same as me, you know, that mm. these were boys and I was a boy. Um, but all throughout school, I understood. I, I also felt so out of place from the perspective of I felt like I was given access to a whole world which I should not have been given access to. Um, or which people, which I wasn't usually, wouldn't have usually been given access to. And now I understand that to be tied into my gender identity, you know, in terms of, I understand now that sense of other, that sense of seeing these boys and these young men, because some of the people that form six, they were 17, 18, 19. I mean, they were by then men with beards. Um, and their physical structures, they, they were athletes, they were, so I was just completely, not only in armor, but also just in awe, I was, you know, filled with a sense of, wow, other, like, what are these creatures? And even as I came through school, it was unique for me to develop my own sense of identity, individuality, yet still, and, and also prominence, presence, power, leadership, without adhering to, I never compromised on who I was, even then, you know. Um, and that's why I said I became the, the, the queen of the Queen's Royal College, because um, even then I, I was so grounded in my femininity, um, and not from a, a surface level, but from a core um, essence, you know. Um, so... I think that's that's kind of what I mean when I say, you know, those years were so fascinating and, and now are even more fascinating to me than, than they were then. Can you tell me, tell us, um, when did you first, or can you remember, and if you can, when did you first feel this otherness? Was it a moment? Was it, a, was it a, a, something that you can flash back to? I can recall it now. But at the time, I didn't know. Hmm. Um, when I was really young, I used to look out of my window and I would see vagrants when we were driving around in the car. I would see vagrants on the streets. And I remember even then being fascinated by their masculinity, by their male structure. You know, vagrants, it's called a vagrant body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to me at the time, you know, that was such an extreme of masculinity. I remember just being fascinated. And I remember thinking, well, I could never be that. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, I remember not even associating myself with that. I remember even then thinking, those people, those those beings are fascinating. Um, and it became even clearer to me when I was in high school and... Um, from Form 1, I began the drama club. I was in drama, theater. And inevitably, all of the roles that I was cast as were either roles as a woman or as a very effeminate, non-gendered character. Um, and even in, in one of our school plays, I remember one of my form teacher actually came up to me after because of course I was exceptional and we won awards. We would, I mean, win everything from drama festival. And, you know, one of my teachers came up to me after he said, that was the review on stage. You know, he said, you weren't acting. That was the review. And I just remember thinking, well, that was a woman on stage. Honey. So <laughs> I mean, if, if that's the real me, well, more power to me. But even then I didn't understand things in terms of a gendered perspective. I okay. just understood spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think all I understood my spirit to be, which I could name now, is, is what I call the spirit of Janet. Okay. All right. Um, and your that essence has has flown through you, as within you, and and, and remains up to today. I would, I, I suggest. Yes, it's been like uh, if if it was embers of a fire that time. Now I think it's. <laughs> Roaring, um, uncontrollable bushfire. It's actually controllable, but um, it's definitely blazing. But do you do like write or have you continued with the music? You said you were good at saxophone and such. Have you continued with um, anything in the arts, for instance, literature or, or music or anything? 
Yes, well, I've performed since 2015. I've performed as the Queen Miss Jenny. And Miss Jenny has become my foremost outlet of all that was poured into me. And recently, well, not recently, 2017, through my work with Three Canal, we transitioned into music. I transitioned Miss Jenny's entertainment offerings, as I put it, or expressions into music. And, and that was the birth of a song called Love is Love, mm. um, which we are actually now working on releasing the official album. Okay. But yeah, all that was poured into me at that time, I, I didn't understand how it would come into formation. But now um, I think I have many outlets and Ms. Jenny has become my primary creative outlet. Wow. The Scotiabank thing now, um, for people who might not have seen it or be aware of it, you did a video, part of a campaign by Scotiabank in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, well, I know the, I believe it's Michael Mulida who directed it. Yes, Michael? Michael is the director, yeah. Well, I don't like to say, be refer to people as my students. Oh, my, sorry, Michael Mulida, yes. Yeah, I don't like to necessarily refer to people as my students, but I taught Michael at oh. UE Film Program. Um, okay, lovely. And in fact, um, I think it must be in 2008, 9, I'm not sure, he would have produced... Um, Queens of Curap. Yeah, he produced the Queens of Curap <laughs> when he was with us. And it was very popular. I think it won the Audience Award at the Trinidad Tobago Film Festival. And this was a, this is a, is a kind of a breakthrough, I think. In I also had a student from Barbados and other students around that time, who because there was a, a student from Barbados, she did a thing called SIR Vival Survival, and that was on um, the the same Queens of Curep. Um, there used to be a place called June's Three, which was an, mm-hmm. approaching the um, Curep Junction. And she did a one-on-one interview with someone then as one of my doc- one of my documentary class, I think. It was S-I-R-V-I-V-A-L, I believe it's survival. I think years ago, I had done some, I had some, I did some interviews in t- probably 1992, huh? Don't let the hair die fool you, you know? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But I did a series of interviews. I did it in black and white outside and around, um, June's. And I interviewed, okay. I asked people questions like, you know, were they interested in um, having children at some point? All sorts of stuff went down, you know? But, mm-hmm. but it was very stark, I remember. And um, met a lot of people. And I was actually writing a, a short film that I hoped would be a feature called Number One, you know? Mm. Because one of the people I interviewed, they... Um, they didn't dress as as, as the um, what we normatively would say is gender normative feminine female. Right. <clears throat> they put pretty um uh, I don't know I wouldn't say neutral clothing, but they came across as the most normatively feminine as well. So I thought it was fascinating, and I had this whole thing with this person who was working in a bank in the day. And then in the evening, they had this round kind of mirror, moon mirror, and in the evening they transform and go out to to, to, to lion party and thing in their own world, you know? Right. Well, in the real world, it didn't work out so well because the person there, um, I met them years later. I was filming something in, I think it, in the river in Manage Ranch in Arima. And this person came up to me and asked me if I remember them, and they had a beard and thing, and I said, well, kind of looking kind of familiar. And, and they said, they pulled this picture out of the wallet and they said, Hey, I'm, num- I was number one, you know. I was like, Okay. Wow. Um, but, um, apparently they got some kind of, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say conversion, but you spoke about family and, and religion and so on. And I think they got, they, in that case, they decided at that point when I met them, they were like, um, back on the other side, you know. Right. Right, so it was interesting, and also we had a little chat, and I was say, "Well, you know, it's interesting. You all keep the fi- the picture of who you were in your in your wallet, you know, and you're here showing me that. So I hope you reconcile. I mean, I don't pressure nobody, you know, 
But that was a thing that that um that was a that was a uh, iconic, um, culturally iconic um, f- facet of living in in East Trinidad and Kira in uh, Junction in particular, being around there, you know, late at night and stuff. So very fascinating. So anyway, I, to keep going, I digress. Um, but this Scotiabank thing is important because uh, in terms of visibility. I think this is maybe one of the most mainstream um, invisibilizing of um, trans people so far. Right. And it's by a corporate um, giant and all of that, you know. So there's, you know. so I thought the watch that was fascinating because I'm saying, okay, I'm seeing something happening with it's more um, Acceptance and and, and 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 tolerance. Well, I hate to use the word tolerance, but you know what I mean. Within the larger community, outside of the yeah, trans it's, community, it's a reality. Yeah, tolerance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, you said, "What's the name of that? your song?" Love. What you said? It's called. Love is love. Yeah, I you know your thing goes beyond. It transcends mere tolerance, of course. But mm-hmm. but um, hopefully, people are moving towards a point of you know, people have rights and be citizens of a country. And, um, you know, um, illegitimizing or illegalizing people's, um, people is, is existence, experience, etc. is wrong, you know? It, we have to. Yeah, definitely. So at least have a, have a, have a, um, maybe not be your thing, but I don't see why you can be discriminating formally against anyone. And that is my thing too. I think, um, we're moving, you know? Same thing with the, the verdict, um, was it now three years now? Yes, three years. Yeah, where that was reversed and um, the illegalization of people was reversed at that by, by the uh, magistrate, the judge. And that has been a kind of a tectonic shift as well. Generally, though, the I, I think the general community, they are not too clear. I mean, you know what's happening in the States as well? There's a lot of anti-trans, transphobia, and people are really not too clear. They don't know if there's a difference between transsexual or transgender, and they don't know what exactly this means. But they know they don't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yes. So yeah, if you could, if, if you could bring a little clarity to listeners about what exactly are we talking about, and why are people against transgender athletes, and why is it, I know it's a wedge issue and a political issue in some fora, but what's going yeah. on? You know what's going on? Yeah, I think you know we've been. We're talking about these the societal structure of currents, I mean centuries of this current um, revolution of civilization that we live in that has been built on the structure of gender, right? And this goes back to our understanding of even the journey of women's rights, right? Understanding that we've come from a place in recent history where women was seen as lesser humans to men. And this kind of reinforces the divide, you know, so the same way in which we understand slavery and we understand that, you know, um, in accordance with race, in our realm of civilization, this current um, revolution, I should say, of civilization, you know, parts of our recent history and something that, influences and affects us today because of the way in which societies have been built on it. You know, slavery and um, the trampling of Africans, um, mm-hmm. and not just Africans, but primarily, you know, has, has been such a formative aspect of civilization. So if we look at the difference between men and women and genders and, and um, the construction of society around not only gender roles, but um, permissions and legitimizations, you know, even the fact that women had to fight for the right to vote. We can even yeah. look at that. So now we've come, we've come from all there now into what we're heading into, which is an almost an abolition of the structure of gender and more so an abolition of the way in which gender is used to enforce people's existence and to enforce um, structures in society. And I think that this is one of the reasons why transgender people 
uh, such a topic of, and the trans experience is such a topic of division, contention, confusion. The confusion comes from a realistic place of the fact that we're born into the awareness that there is man and woman, and that is determined based on your sexual organs at birth. And for a long time, there has not been any notion of a reality of there being a variance in that. Mm -hmm. So it's like telling somebody, you know, you breathe through oxygen. And then we're now in a time in society where people are saying, well, they don't actually really breathe in Mm -hmm. oxygen and exhale, you know, carbon dioxide. And, And that is such a core sensibility of reality that to attack that or to present something which seems to suggest that that is not a fixed mm-hmm. reality and it's a movable reality, that begins to shape people's um, sense of like, well, well, what really is real then? If you can tell me that this is not a thing <laughs> or this can be moved and changed, you know. So coming more specifically into the human experience, um, Trans people have actually existed from time immemorial. Um, but of course, the language, the word transgender is a very, 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 very recent one. Um, it's very recent language. And so, um, you know, even in the Bible, they would refer to things such as eunuchs. And even that mm-hmm. language is not thoroughly accurate. But we understand that those were the references to... Yes, a eunuch is a very specific reference to somebody who may have been castrated, um, a man that may have been castrated. But we understand in the social and, and cultural context of that history, it wasn't just that. You know, it, it referred to, reflected, represented um, a variance in gender identity, right? It reflected the existence of people who did not adhere to the binary. Yeah. Um, but still existed, and not only existed, had role, form, and function. If we look at indigenous societies, um, more specifically um, in American Indian societies, there were people who were considered two-spirit, and those people did not serve a societal role or a communal role in accordance with their physical characteristics, but more so in accordance with the understanding that their spirit um, their divinity was so radiant that it transcended the physical package within which they, they came, and that was revered in those times. And you have it in Hinduism. You have it in Hinduism. You have it in Orisha in, in its own conceptual right. frame. Because I, I did a documentary, for instance, called um, Olukun, Lord, mm. Lord and Mistress of the Deep. So I don't know if people, <laughs> how people could, decode, could decode or understand that. But right. this sense of trans, it's tra- is trans about transcendence. What, what, what is it? It's about transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about the, yeah. So, you know, it's the transcending of gender. That's mm. how we come to transgender. Mm. You know, people like myself, we have transcended what gender has come to mean, you know, which is a, an assignment. Um, in accordance with, you know, physical characteristics. Um, and yeah, that's what it is, you know, even in Hindu, um, I don't want to say exactly which deities is, because I know I'm going to get it wrong, but even in the Hindu deities, there is an understanding of one in particular, which is, you know, beyond masculine and feminine, with a combination of both and transcending beyond even the combination. Um, so, and I, I see that in myself and the experience of my community, you know, there's, there's a divinity in there in which there are things inside of us that simply do not obey physical and um, constructed modes, norms, laws, mm. boundaries, binaries. Yeah. And we look at, um, Perhaps you could say Judeo-Christianity and such, but um, there's this the, a patriarchy that sees God as a man, a male form, you know. Exactly. And exactly. And that That's has its own implications. Of course, if there's also <laughs> race, with, or what do we call race, where they see incredibly God is portrayed in the Judeo-Christian 
in, in some of the in some realms as strangely European, although he was from Nazareth in the Middle East, yes. what we now call the exactly. Middle East. You know, he would have been historically a brown skin. Yeah, yeah, with with very very <laughs> densely kinky hair, which because was a, like densely lamb's wool, you know, unruly hair, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, but out of that comes this kind of blonde haired blue eyed dude, you know, kind of tripsing around in sandals and and and, 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 a, and a dress. Yeah, you know, all <laughs> that. Yeah. A robe, a robe, yeah. So yeah, so there's a lot of. I mean, I don't think we could we could accomplish it in one go, but I mean, a little <laughs> bit of of understanding more, you know. Because people are confused, a lot of people are confused in terms of the, what is, does this, 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 is trans, um, tied to sexual orientation and is trans about, um, um, transsexualism as in you're going to have surgery and people are just, are just, right? And they, they're seeing so many gradations or layering within what we consider gender. That they get confused, and I understand too, eh, because you're on a beat, and even again, you know, you, you said binary, and I think I don't know. We have under the the yoke of the our history, we have this this binary thinking and this this sort of neo-colonial policing of everybody. Like we are, like almost like we are still the the masters over there, making sure this one doesn't do this or this one doesn't do that. And, you know, we're going to lock this one up, you know? So, and that's something that personally disturbs me, right? That personally disturbs me. And, and the, 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 the groups that inevitably seem targeted, you know, like marijuana, I think you're not just illegalizing, you're not just illegalizing marijuana, you're illegalizing black people because the basis of the illegalization was to, to lock up and to push back on the um, people of color, Mexicans and, yes. and, and African Americans in the cities and all of that, you know. So we have to look at, and then you, people ups now, and it's just accepted as something that's right. Same as slavery, it was illegal. If I come and advocate against slavery during slavery, I could get locked up. My activities are illegal, you know. So we in this kind of flux, though. And I, I want to get a sense of where we might go and might be going. Because this Hoshabang thing, as I said, is a shot across the bow for some. And it's a welcome, it's almost a relief to see um, coming into the open as such into the mainstream and looking and not judging. And I want to just get a sense of where, is there a momentum you're feeling or part of even? Well, as you said, the tectonic shift happened with the Jason Jones case in 2018. Um, and not just for the case, but with the way in which the queer community decided to show up so visibly, first outside of Parliament, which at the time was at the waterfront, and then outside of the Hall of Justice. That was, I think, a landmark moment in our history, April 18th, 2018, so much so that, you know, even now we seek to commemorate that day. Um, that was a tectonic shift, right? That was one of the few moments in which so many members of the LGBT community decided, you know what, we don't really care to remain in the shadows. You know, Trinidad has operated on such a donor hotel basis with the community <laughs> yep. for years. It's like everybody yeah. knows somebody <clears throat> that is at the time we would have say funny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in every space. Um, but it was very much we don't talk about them and they don't, you know, talk about right, they don't you don't push up yourself and you don't come out in the daytime, in other words. And that was one of the first times that the community decided, we're going to show up and we're going to show up not in a way which um, seeks to continue this invisibilizing of who we are. And then there was the public backlash after that day because of the judgment itself. You know, not only from the church community, which came before and after, but also from the regular everyday man. And if you listen to the radio stations, you would have heard Hujubantan's song, Oh Bye Bye. Yeah. Um, kind of just on repeat. Yeah. And, and you should also know that was the time in which, as Miss Janae, I poured into my music and we came up with a song called The Batman Anthem. Hmm. And it was in direct response to um, exactly what was happening. So since then, now we've come along these years where the, the community understood the backlash from that day. And I think that year we also had the first ever public pride parade. Yes. Um, and so since then, there's also been a community organizational shift of some key players mm. to continue pushing for the advancement of the 
public acknowledgement, public recognition, public display, um, open visibility of the LGBT plus community, and almost a kind of perspective of like, well, look, we, we, we've been here and now we're here, here, and we really ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and what we're seeing is just the continued ripple effect of that. And I, I claim and I would like to believe and I trust it to be so that we are just in um, the continued wave, you know, and the waves will continue to come until I believe five, ten years from now, we're not even going to be having conversations specifically about the rights of LGBT people um, I think especially in 10 to 20 years from now, mm-hmm. more specifically, mm-hmm. I could guarantee you that our LGBT community are going to be in such places of prominence, influence, and leadership, government. We already are, but, you know, in very open and proud ways to where the, right now what we're doing is leveling the legal framework and playing field. Yes. And that's why, that's a part of the reason why additionally visibility is also important. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why I got into that campaign with Scotiabank was because I had a conversation with Scotiabank probably about four weeks prior with their human resource department in which they celebrated an, a, a Newsday article that I did which featured me as a representative of the trans community for Trans Visibility Day on March 31st. Mm-hmm. Newsday did a feature of my story and, and a key and crux to my story is the fact that I was working at TTT through the OJT program okay. um, a year prior. So at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, I was working there, and it was also the beginning of my transition, publicly. Um, and we got to a point a couple months in where they literally had this huge high-level executive meeting with me, and they were clear about the fact that they were not recording the meeting, and they were detailing anything in emails, but they wanted to let me know in person. Hmm. Pretty much if you want to live this way, that's your business, mm-hmm. and all power to you, but we will not allow it within our organizational context and I made it clear to them that this was such a clear example of discrimination and a violation of my human rights yeah Um, you know not giving me access to employment which I already got I already got the job Um, I was already in the job I was superb at my job Um, and they gave me the ultimatum they said will you they continue coming to work dress as the boy that you were assigned at birth and mm-hmm. your legal name, or you could find a job somewhere else, you know, and of course I left. But I spoke about this in the article, and then Scotiabank had the conversation with me where they were um, clear on, you know, the HR mandate of diversity inclusion first for internal reasons to ensure that internally the LGBT community would feel safe and comfortable and, and secure in their job, in their workplace at Scotiabank. Um, and then later on, they decided on doing this public campaign. And let's be honest, we understand that this kind of push has come from the fact that Scotiabank is a Canadian corporation. So let's not fool our fact and believe that there are people in Trinidad just sitting down and, you know, believing that this is important. No. People that are running this campaign, are that are, they are literally taking directives from Scotiabank in Canada, okay. which has decided that as a global company, these are the mandates that are to be enforced globally. And I say that because it's just a reality of the situation, and it's not to downplay, but it's to, to remind us of the full scope of the reality. Yeah. Right? So this is not Massey Stores, which is, you know, primarily a Caribbean-run organization that has taken it upon themselves to champion the social justice. Yeah. It's definitely a trickle-down from North America. Yeah, from head office. <laughs> from head office. Uh, but nevertheless, it's you know, there. we in the community, we say thank God. Yeah, well, it comes. Yeah, well, come it. I mean, take it. yeah, it's, it's, it, it's good. Um intersectionality again I think I don't know man when you said you see I, I, I've been around a while and I, I in my some part of me can't believe that in 2021 we're still talking about this or you, you, yeah you got you got caught with a piece of bush you get locked up or women's reproductive health and um, yeah. you know the rights to control the, 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 the destiny somebody else somebody usually male really obstructed Mm-hmm. Um, is Even the child marriage. Well, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> yeah. All of the above, even if the child marriage thing, I thought could have been I, um, handled in different ways. You know, given we need also to 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 have a of a, a full exp, um, conversation about conversation. It, you know, I agree. You know, and I think that you know, and I, I my my job and what I see as my job currently, um, especially with regards to the transgender movement, the LGBT movement, is it's what I call nuance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're referring to when you say we should have the entire conversation. You know, we we in the Caribbean we can't just absorb and turn that we can't just absorb you know what's happening in North America and consume it as our reality and and bumble around you know with blinders on. I think it's important for us to consume the nuances. You know, so the same way my parents are vehemently against my lifestyle and being. Okay. Probably hang their head in shame and cry every time they see my face on, on this pushback ad. Okay. But it doesn't mean that we don't have conversations. It doesn't mean that they won't say I love you. You know? Yes. It, it's such a nuanced existence and, and it's for everything else, right? So you go with the child marriage conversation, you know, it's not about a group of people just standing up and saying, this is wrong and cancel it. it it's more about, well, let's have the conversation about actually where did this come from? Mm-hmm. And what maybe were the aspects of our society that this served? And now that we're in a different realm of reality, how do we move forward in a way which doesn't um, demolish structures which may have been beneficial to us in a certain way, but now can just be adjusted to incorporate mm-hmm. um, a broader scope of reality? Well, we have to, to commit to see. I don't find the place particularly reflective and... There's a lot of like distraction and deflection, and people like a lot of people do not wish to confront a lot of uh, things that our societal ills, our culture that you know, or try to escape the culture that we seem confined to, you know. And I think that just is a, a I feel a, a suffocation for the society there, and it's kind of overdue, you know. I feel it back in times vibes, you know, all the time, and I really want to go forward. You know, like it's time to it's time to to kind of grow up and move forward. Yeah, you know, we're stuck. You know, there's a sense of inertia across the board and political inertia, the 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 ethnic um, the soft bigotry and on and all of this nonsense that keeps us uh, polarized. All right. So what you know. I think the policing that you spoke about is exactly that. And it became so clear to me. I haven't lived in Trinidad until 2016. I left Trinidad when I was 17 and moved to the States and then moved back here in 2016. And one of the first shocking experiences to me was taking a taxi. Mm-hmm. And it, it was how much these taxi drivers treated this taxi as their kingdom. Yeah. And I realized that the roughness that my, I might have experienced from them was them inflicting upon me mm-hmm. what was inflicted upon them by other aspects of society where they didn't have control and where that was not their domain. So when I come into this taxi, don't slam a door like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is it. Yeah. Right? And I find that the same, the backlash that we get now is equal community is that is I have come into this Trinidad and Tobago, into this life, and I have been policed. I've been told I couldn't be this, I couldn't be that. Uh, I had to adhere to this. And so you can now come and be so free and abandon all of these structures and be living your life without all these rules that I have to abide by. You can't do that. You know, and I think that's where a lot of the backlash and pushback comes from is people who are trapped in their, their own rules, um, whether it's through norms, you know, religion, family, status, whatever, they now see the people like myself who have decided, well, I don't have to live in accordance with any of these things. I can determine my reality and I will um, live as it would to be so. And that's where the backlash comes is, is oppressed people um, try to find a way that, you know, to, to alleviate their oppression they want to make sure that everybody else is oppressed within that. Um, and to me, that's the backlash. Well, I'm, I'm sensing a, the long historic arc of a transfer of aggression or aggressions, you know. And um, so, yeah, I think um, it's a, you know, the people tell you they don't want you smoking, not because they care about your health, really. But there's one thing that makes them feel superior to you and they want you to let you know that. 
right? Yes. And yeah. <clears throat> this is this tradition or culture that we need to, to get out of. And it's, it's, I find it stifling, man. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really keeping us from our uh, achieving our zenith. You know, we kind of, as I said, but, but the little slow things at the margins that are happening, uh, I don't want to say slow, but things are happening at the margins. And, and, um, okay. So there is some movement. I remember in Cuba, um, over the years, eh, um, homosexuality was become the state now eased up, you know? Mm-hmm. Part of it was because Raul Castro's daughter was the main um, lesbian or gay advocate, and, you know, very public and so on. And he, right. you could say yeah, that it sensitized him and the, 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 the leadership or whatever. But the bottom line is Cuba came quite far, you know, mm-hmm. and I can be sitting, standing on um, a corner in Chinatown in Havana and it's like, Kind of like I'm in uh, on Castro, in the Castro in um, San Francisco, you know. In San Francisco. Yeah, and I'm looking at some of the older people, some of the older folk, the more traditional folk, on watching people. Not they don't really not staring or anything, right? No. But there's a kind. There's almost an enforced tolerance because if the regime has decided, hey man, you know, it's okay now. We need to do this. Yes. And they also have the the the, 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 the religious. Um, traditions haven't gone away. So there was all of these things bubbling up, you know, but I'm seeing something happening suddenly, I guess, for some. And they, in that particular context, it's happening. It's visible. There's nothing they're going to do about it or can do about it. And it's therefore taken a kind of a hold. And they had a kind of a sketchy history, of course, um, until they made that decision. But, you know, that's it. So I would like to see us being more tolerable. There's a strange things happening because I remember I was with my daughter in um in a park in Sao Paulo in Brazil, I think. I can't remember. But um and she was looking at what she I first time I heard um PDAs, public displays of affection. Yes. Right? So I said I said she said, Well oh no, you know, because I noticed but then it my mind went to Trinidad and how Apart from carnival and certain things, we tend not the kind of publicly demonstrative folk. You don't have couples too much being very demonstrative in public, like in other uh, cultures. Yeah. So I said to myself, "Sorry." I said to uh, yeah, I just said not at all. Yeah. Yeah, I said so. I said to myself, "Well, you know, part of it, you know, I can um, say men holding hands and stuff, women holding hands, being affectionate. It might not come up in the first place." Because when I say that, people are just seem not to, there's always some kind of disclaimer when you're with your, your better half. Like, you know, I don't know if you're trying to suggest that you're still available. I don't know, partner, but we have that kind of, that, that kind of stance, you know, mm-hmm. um, to see people of the same gender, um, holding hands or loving up in public is kind of a shock to a lot of people, you know? Oh, yes. No, but the old society, I know my father when he grew up, um, poor in um, rural um, South Trinidad, they, they they used to hold hands, the men, boys, whatever, men mm-hmm. kiss mm-hmm. on the cheek, or whatever. And um, many of the traditional societies, well, I won't say traditional, many societies have been to, they're still that way, including in India in some respects. India. Yeah, in yeah, some respects, India, you know. You know, male affection is... Yeah, but um, but you see, what I'm trying to get at, I'm not saying that as what I sanction in, it's once they're heterosexual, it's great. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is um, there's such an aversion to homosexuality and male homosexuality in this case, for instance, that man don't even want to hug a hope for being, you know? They're kind of right. yeah, original social distancing, apparently. But you know what I'm saying? You don't want to be so thought as, oh, my God, you know? Yeah. yeah. It might be a father and a son who happen to be look kind of close in age and then you thinking it's some gay thing and it's a father and son hugging each other, you know. But this kind of inhibition, boy, it stops you from expressing yourself. You get even more inhibited and into this little, you know, stifled kind of corner. So I just want to see opening up, man, and people loving, you know, and I'm not seeing it. Sorry. It's been too long, you know. Yeah, it has. And I think we need yeah, we have to come to a point now, man. You know, mm-hmm. these things are overdue. But in the meantime, I'm looking on and, and seeing what's happening. Now, anything planned for, you see, in the, I, I know, I know Pride has taken off as a, as an annual, um, 
celebration, a lot of events surrounding. I know Rudy and company are doing their thing. Um, do you see anything? Uh, well, uh, we can be uh, privy to anything that you want to talk about that we might be uh, seeing to come in the immediate future, and uh, particularly legislation or anything. Um, well, I don't. I, there's nothing. I mean, in the works, or you know, um, at this time, you know, we're all just committed to continuing and following um, the path. With regards to the Jason Jones judgment, the striking down of the buggery law, that still has to go to the High Court, um, Caribbean High Court, and, and kind of find its ruling there. Um, but I will say from a legal perspective, we definitely now have a lot more of the heirs of the lawmakers. You know, there was even a conversation with the Attorney General in, in which... You know, um, one of the things in Trinidad, we have a conversation about same-sex marriage, but the reality is if you go and get, as a same-sex couple, if you go and get married anywhere else and come back to Trinidad, you know, you just have to go to court and your, your marriage will be validated. I didn't know that. Yes. But, you know, in the words of the Attorney General, um, and, and I hope I'm not quoted on this, so I won't say it's a quote because it's not. But in the conversation, it was expressed, well, but nobody's gone to the court. No gay couple has mm-hmm. taken it to the court. Okay. So where can we go? You know, mm-hmm. so, so that's kind of the way, that's kind of like our eyes follow now is making sure the impact happens on a constitutional level. Yes. And it was specifically with regards to the transgender community, our biggest constitutional life-changing factor is something called the gender marker. Mm. Right, which comes back to that same thing in the job in TTT. If I was able to go through my transition prior to beginning the job and go along the route of being able to change my gender marker so that when I present my ID to these people, mm. my gender says female and you know it's with whatever preferred name, then I don't have to worry about what's between my legs and I don't mm. have to worry about that determining the kind of experience that I'm going to have in accessing a life that everybody else does not even have to consider. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so we just understand that the change that we're looking at now, the changes and, and the places we're going to be applying the most pressure going forward is on a legal and constitutional level. Yeah, but I see, I'm not expecting people to, oh, institutions and, and such to come around suddenly and everything's fine with them. I, this is something you have to grapple with. So I understand them having their difficulties, the challenges coming to terms, right? <laughs> but what you just said, though, um, I just don't f- feel comfortable. People can, can, can someone, can a fellow citizen, I just don't feel comfortable with a fellow citizen can determine, I don't want them to go there. I don't want them to, to be concerned, concerned about what I have between my legs or even my ears. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I just, just I just feel it's a violation, man. And it's, 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 it's done in a, a for, it's formalized. I don't like that. I personally could say yes. it. No, I don't like that. And, um, in terms of same sex marriage, my question would be, why I was asking about the legal a little bit is that because I didn't know you could that could that, I, I I guess I didn't realize it it hadn't but I could see it in theory be working but it hadn't been tested but if you do have a same sex marriage let's say in Canada or Amsterdam or Holland or something and um, you do get formally recognized here in Trinidad and Tobago what happens with things like the legal um, issues with insurance and land and inheritance and all of these things. That's the thing. The other thing is, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. And what are the implications of things like adoption and all of that? Well, there are lots of implications, but according to the court, you know, a marriage, marriage here, because we are not a theocracy, Mm. marriage is not recognized in accordance with religion. Mm. So, um, and, and according to the court, once a marriage has been, you know, formalized elsewhere it, and you've brought it to the court, it has to be recognized by mm-hmm. the court legally. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, if anybody actually did that, it would be recognized and things with, you know, 
partner rights, visitation rights at the hospital, yes. land ownership, all of that um, would have to be adhered to because you would be in possession of a legal document which states that this is your um, marriage partner, whether that you know might stay husband and wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Um, well, that's sense. We just haven't had anybody go down that road yet. Yeah, well, I'm sensing that's another um, another milestone, like Jason Jones' verdict. We might be coming to in due course. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> so we will wrap it up shortly, um, and we can do a part two and three and all this matter. These things happen. See, that's what I said from the get go. I feel that this is not a one off, and it takes time. These conversations we need to have with ourselves. I don't think you can rush it, and I don't think there's going to be an overnight um, epiphany stuff going on for folk and so on. And I do respect, uh, or, or I'd say understand the history. I'm not entirely, right. I'm not, you know, but I do understand enough to think of the forces that have that have propelled us towards these kinds of attitudes against our fellow citizens. And, you know, I, you know, it's not overnight. There's something that's got to be some kind of ethnic reconciliation at, at some point because it's well overdue. And, of course, in terms of all sorts of things where we, we are, again, illegalizing our people. Right. And there's so much um, data, history, information to show you why that doesn't make any sense, you know. And people can, you know... Kind of learned what's happening with Trump and the states and that kind of um, rising, um, not autoc- just autocracy, but the rising um, the, the, the intolerance for others and othering and all of that. So, yes. and I mean, I, and I think you would be aware that some of our fellow citizens kind of went along those lines too, our followers. Oh, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Quite but a few of them. Yeah. So, but um, I think this is great. So, I want to say that this is just part one, you know, and mm-hmm. we can expand on it. Um, at least give some listeners something to chew on, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I ain't listening to the music yet. I will be looking out for that. Send me a link now. If you have okay. once, you, once you once you have it published or whatever, I'd love to listen to your stuff. You yes, know? definitely. I'll send it to you. Well, Zoe, man, thanks so much. And um, You're most welcome. I hope you know there was some eye opening. Um, Breathe, folks. So I'm kidding, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, we we you know, hoping for 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 more, you know. And keep us posted, please. Yes, I definitely, definitely will. Well, thank th- you so much for having me. Yes. Yeah, man. Always welcome in the Caribbean, man. Take care. Mm-hmm. Much love. Yeah, same here. Bye, bye. Bless. <laughs>